Phase four Chapter twenty six of Tess of the Durbervilles This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty six It was not till the evening after family prayers that Angel found opportunity of broaching to his father one or two subjects near his heart. He had strung himself up to the purpose while kneeling behind his brothers on the carpet studying the little nails in the heels of their walking-boots. When the service was over, they went out of the room with their mother, and Mr. Clare and himself were left alone. The young man first discussed with the elder his plans for the attainment of his position as a farmer on an extensive scale, either in England or in the colonies. His father then told him that, as he had not been put to the expense of sending Angel up to Cambridge, he had felt it his duty to set by a sum of money every year towards the purchase or lease of land for him some day, that he might not feel himself unduly slighted. "'As far as worldly wealth goes,' continued his father, "'will no doubt stand far superior to your brothers in a few years.' This considerateness on old Mr. Clare's part led Angel onward to the other and dearer subject. He observed to his father that he was then six-and-twenty, and that when he should start in the family business he would require eyes in the back of his head to see to all matters, someone who would be necessary to superintend the domestic labours of his establishment whilst he was afield. Would it not be well, therefore, for him to marry? His father seemed to think this idea not unreasonable, and then Angel put the question, "'What kind of wife do you think would be best for me as a thrifty, hard-working farmer?' "'A truly Christian woman.' will be a help and a comfort to you in your goings out and your comings in. Beyond that, it really matters little. Such an one can be found. Indeed, my earnest-minded friend and neighbour, Dr. Chant. But ought she not primarily to be able to milk cows, churn good butter, make immense cheeses, know how to sit hens and turkeys and rear chickens, to direct a field of labourers in an emergency, and estimate the value of sheep and calves? Yes, a farmer's wife. Yes, certainly. It would be desirable. Mr. Clare, the elder, had plainly never thought of these points before. I was going to add, he said, that for a pure and saintly woman you will not find one more to your true advantage, and certainly not more to your mother's mind and my own, than your friend Mercy, whom you used to show a certain interest in. It is true that my neighbour Chant's daughter has lately caught up the fashion of the younger clergy round about us for decorating the communion-table altar as I was astonished to hear it, her call it one day, with flowers and other stuff on festival occasions. But her father, who is quite as opposed to such flummery as I, says that can be cured. It is a mere girlish outbreak, which I am sure will not be permanent. Yes, yes, mercy is good and devout, I know. But, father, don't you think that a young woman equally pure and virtuous is mischant, but one who, in place of that lady's ecclesiastical accomplishments, understands the duties of farm life as well as a farmer himself would suit me infinitely better his father persisted in his conviction that a knowledge of a farmer's wife's duties came second to a pauline view of humanity and the impulsive angel wishing to honour his father's feelings and to advance the cause of his heart at the same time grew specious he said that fate or providence had thrown in his way a woman who possessed every qualification to be the helpmate of an agriculturalist and was decidedly of a serious turn of mind he would not say whether or not she had attached herself to the sound low church school of his father 
but she would probably be open to conviction on that point. She was a regular churchgoer of simple faith, honest-hearted, receptive, intelligent, graceful to a degree, chaste as a vestal, and in personal appearance exceptionally beautiful. "'Is she a family such as you would care to marry into? A lady, in short?' asked his startled mother, who had come softly into the study during the conversation. "'She is not what in common parlance is called a lady,' said Angel unflinchingly. "'But she is a cottager's daughter, as I am proud to say. "'But she is a lady, nevertheless, in feeling and nature.' "'Mercy Chant is of a very good family.' "'Pooh! What's the advantage of that, mother?' said Angel quickly. "'How is family to avail the wife of a man who is to rough it, as I have, and shall have to do?' "'Mercy is accomplished, and accomplishments have their charm.' returned his mother, looking at him through her silver spectacles. As to external accomplishments, what will be the use of them in the life I am going to lead? While as to her reading, I can take that in hand. She'll be an apt pupil enough, as you would say if you knew her. She's brimful of poetry, actualized poetry, if I may use the expression. She lives what paper poets only write. And she is an unimpeachable Christian, I am sure, perhaps of the very tribe, genus, and species you desire to propagate. "'Oh, Angel, you are mocking!' "'Mother, I beg pardon, but as she really does attend church almost every Sunday morning, and is a good Christian girl, I am sure you will tolerate any social shortcomings for the sake of that quality, and feel that I may do worse than choose her.' Angel waxed quite earnest on that rather automatic orthodoxy in his beloved Tess, which— never dreaming that it might stand him in such good stead. He had been prone to slight when observing it practised by her and the other milkmaids, because of its obvious unreality amid beliefs essentially naturalistic. In their sad doubts as to whether their son had himself any right whatever to the title he claimed for the unknown young woman, Mr. and Mrs. Clare began to feel it as an advantage not to be overlooked that she at least was sound in her views, especially as the conjunction of the pair must have arisen by an act of providence, for Angel never would have made orthodoxy a condition of his choice. They said finally that it was better not to act in a hurry, but that they would not object to see her. Angel therefore refrained from declaring more particulars now. He felt that, single-minded and self-sacrificing as his parents were, there yet existed certain latent prejudices of theirs, as middle-class people, which it would require some tact to overcome. For though, legally at liberty to do as he chose, and though their daughter-in-law's qualifications could make no practical difference to their lives, in the probability of her living far away from them, he wished for affection's sake not to wound their sentiment in the most important decision of his life. He observed his own inconsistencies in dwelling upon accidents in Tess's life as if they were vital features. It was for herself that he loved Tess, her soul, her heart, her substance, not for her skill in a dairy, her aptness as his scholar, and certainly not for her simple, formal faith professions. Her unsophisticated open-air existence required no varnish of conventionality to make it palatable to him. He held that education had as yet but little affected the beats of emotion and impulse on which domestic happiness depends. It was probable that in the lapse of ages, improved systems of moral and intellectual training would appreciably, perhaps considerably, elevate the involuntary and even the unconscious instincts of human nature. Up to the present day, culture, as far as he could see, 
might be said to have affected only the mental epiderm of those lives which had been brought under its influence this belief was confirmed by his experience of women which having latterly been extended from the cultivated middle class into the rural community had taught him how much less was the intrinsic difference between the good and wise woman of one social stratum and the good and wise woman of another social stratum than between the good and bad the wise and the foolish of the same stratum or class it was the morning of his departure his brothers had already left the vicarage to proceed on a walking tour in the north whence one was to return to his college and the other to his curacy angel might have accompanied them but preferred to rejoin his sweetheart at Talbothays. he would have been an awkward member of the party for though the most appreciative humanist the most ideal religionist even the best versed christologist of the three there were alienation in the standing consciousness that his squareness would not fit the round hole that had been prepared for him to neither felix nor cuthbert had he ventured to mention tess his mother made him sandwiches and his father accompanied him on his own mare a little way along the road having fairly well advanced his own affairs angel listened in a willing silence as they jogged on together through the shady lanes to his father's account of his parish difficulties and the coldness of brother clergyman whom he loved because of his strict interpretations of the new testament by the light of what they deemed a pernicious calvinistic doctrine pernicious said mr clare with genial scorn and he proceeded to recount experiences which would show the absurdity of that idea he told of wondrous conversions of evil livers in which he had been the instrument not only amongst the poor but amongst the rich and well-to-do and he also candidly admitted many failures as an instance of the latter he mentioned the case of a young upstart squire named d'urberville living some forty miles off in the neighbourhood of trantridge not one of the ancient d'urbervilles of kingsbeer and other places asked his son that curiously historic worn-out family with its ghostly legend of the coach and four oh no the original d'urbervilles decayed and disappeared sixty or eighty years ago at least i believe so there seems to be a new family which has taken the name for the credit of the former knightly line i hope they are spurious i am sure but it is odd to hear you express interest in old families i thought you said less store by them even than i you misapprehend me father you often do said angel with a little impatience politically i am sceptical as to the virtue of their being old some of the wise even among themselves exclaim against their own succession as hamlet puts it but lyrically dramatically and even historically i am tenderly attached to them this distinction though by no means a subtle one was yet too subtle for mr clare the elder and he went on with the story he had been about to relate which was that after the death of the senior so-called d'urberville the young man developed the most culpable passions though he had a blind mother whose condition should have made him no better a knowledge of his career having come to the ears of mr clare when he was in that part of the country preaching missionary sermons he boldly took occasion to speak to the delinquent on his spiritual state though he was a stranger occupying another's pulpit he had felt this to be his duty and took for his text the words from st luke thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee the young man much resented this directness of attack and in the war of words which followed when they met he did not scruple publicly to insult mr clare without respect for his grey hairs 
Angel flushed with distress. "'Dear father,' he said sadly, "'I wish you would not expose yourself to such gratuitous pain from scoundrels.' "'Pain?' said his father, his rugged face shining in the ardour of self-abnegation. "'The only pain to me was pain on his account, poor, foolish young man. "'Do you suppose his incensed words could give me any pain, or even his blows? "'Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat.' We are made as the filth of the world, and as the off-scouring of all things unto this day. Those ancient and noble words to the Corinthians are strictly true at this present hour. Not blows, father. He did not proceed to blows. No, he did not. Though I have borne blows from men in a mad state of intoxication. No. A dozen times, my boy. What then? I have saved them from the guilt of murdering their own flesh and blood thereby, and they have lived to thank me and praise God. May this young man do the same, said Angel fervently, but I fear otherwise from what you say. We'll hope nevertheless, said Mr. Clare, and I can continue to pray for him, though on this side of the grave we shall probably never meet again. But after all, one of those poor words of mine may spring up in his heart, as a good seed some day. Now, as always, Clare's father was sanguine as a child, and though the younger could not accept his parents' narrow dogma, he revered his practice and recognized the hero under the pietist. Perhaps he revered his father's practice even more now than ever, seeing that, in the question of making Tessie his wife, his father had not once thought of inquiring whether she were well provided or penniless. The same unworldliness was what had necessitated Angel's getting a living as a farmer, and would probably keep his brothers in the position of poor parsons for the term of their activities. Yet Angel admired it none the less. Indeed, despite his own heterodoxy, Angel often felt that he was nearer to his father on the human side than was either of his brethren. End of chapter 26